0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope that you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Tonight we're going to talk about God, and God is the greatest. God is the greatest. You know, it's not something that I'm going to leave up for question. I hope that it, we remind ourselves that it's okay to be assured. It's okay to be confident in the fact that God is the greatest. It is, co- it is okay to do that. It's okay to say that well, what we believe and who we believe in is greater than all the other options. Sometimes whenever we live this life, you know what, things, things come at us. We are so submerged in the world sometimes that all we ever get is sort of is, is nullified. It, it's it's all sort of a veneer of you know uh, I'll just put I'll put up with this. Uh, it's a veneer of you know another layer of of just accepting this and accepting that and our confidence and that's what I'm talking about is our confidence in the fact that he is the greatest and confidence is slowly dulled. It's no longer a sharp edge that slices through the things that we face, slices through those ideas that come into our minds, that those philosophies, ideas, rumors, lies, that your confidence would slice through it. But if it's over and over and over and over again, slowly, 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 that there gets dulled. Slowly, 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 you have not have as much faith in it. And you know what? We are the people of faith. We are the people of faith. There should be something different about us. We should have a confidence in what we believe. He came on the scene and he created a stir. He was unequivocal about who he was. He spoke with such authority. People were startled, they were shocked. You know, that authority and that that message still applies today. It's still as important today as it was 2000 years ago. Do you believe it tonight? Do you believe that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords? Do you believe that he came to save our souls? Do you believe that he can set us free? Do you believe it? But do you really believe it? Is it just something we give a wee bit of an assent to? The world says, don't be too passionate about God. I say, fooey. be passionate. Love him for who he is. He made the biggest change in my life. Has he made the biggest change in yours? He has. He can do it again. He can do it again not just in salvation, but in deliverance. So we've lost something in this world. You know, in First Kings 18, is talking, talking to the nation. He says, how long will ye halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. How long will you halt? God is the greatest. And I want us to be assured of that. I want us to be confident in that, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the greatest. Do we really believe that he is greater? I I, I have to ask it. Do we really believe that he is greater? Is he greater than the circumstances we face? Is he greater than that report from the doctor? Is he? Is he greater than that report from the bank manager, that report on your business? These things are all temporal. They take their, 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 uh, their, their evaluations out of the things of this world. But He is greater. He's greater than anything that comes against us. Any letter you get in the post, any email, any phone call, any conversation, any conversation that you have, any conversation, He is greater than those. Whenever He made the comment, it wasn't a boast, boastful comment. It wasn't something that we should be ashamed of. If I was to get up and say, I am the greatest speaker, you'd all sort of laugh a bit, a lot. But if he gets up and says it, you know, we would laugh if it wasn't for the fact of who he was. We have to remember that he is God. Jesus came on the scene of time. It was God incarnate, God in the flesh. He came on the scene of time and he was the greatest. He said in the, the scriptures where we're going to go to tonight, He said, I am the greatest. Now, it would be boastful if it wasn't for the fact that He was God. But we have to remember that He is God. Can you imagine the God of the universe who limited Himself to human flesh, who, who limited Himself to living amongst us, the people He had created, on the planet He had created, under the trees that He had created? He limited himself. He put up with people scoffing at him, laughing at him, making fun of him, ridiculing him. And yet he was still God. He was still God. What a message. What a God. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, great. And if not, shame on you. Matthew chapter 12 will be the first scriptures we're going to turn to. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. It says, At that time Jesus, verse number one, sorry. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of the grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said unto him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, Haven't you read that what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered into the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, the holy bread that was for the offering, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath day uh, uh, in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent because they actually work on a Sabbath and you're not allowed to work. I I tell you that something greater than the temple is here And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. He spoke with such authority. There was no doubt. There was no hesitation. I think that's one of the remarkable things about his message. He came and he said, and he proclaimed boldly, the kingdom of God has arrived. You want to get caught up in all these wee religious traditions. You get caught up in the minutia. You get caught up in straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel, as it says in other. You get caught up in all the religious activities. He says, but don't you know that something or someone greater than the temple is here? Someone greater than the temple is here. Nothing is greater than Christ. He is greater than the temple As I said, I want to spend a wee wee bit of time praising him and lifting him up in our minds and our uh, thoughts. In the world that Jesus came to, there were four main groups in Israel who were vying for religious supremacy. There was the Pharisees who externalized religion. It's all about what you did, it's all about how you performed, stood on the corner and prayed out loud. It's all about being exact and being uh, external in your actions. There were the scribes who were the ones who wrote down and copied, who, who were into the letter of the law, the study of the scriptures. They were very professional in their religion. They professionalized religion. There was the Sadducees who again were religious, but they were the ones in leadership. They were the ones who secularized religion and used it for secular means to control the people and to elevate themselves. And there was the zealots those who had nationalized religion and made it a national call to rise up in arms against the Romans and kick them out. There was other peoples, there was Romans and Greeks, but those are the ones who were in uh, Israel who were the, the believers. And I say believers because they came to the temple and they did their things, went through their practices, but one greater than the temple had come. We have it in our day. So many people go through the motions. The temple isn't necessarily a temple to us. It's religious activities. It's religious duties. It's secularized religion. There's so much out there. All claim uh, to to hold to the religion of their forefathers, but they all give it their own slant. The ultimate irony is once they started built the temple in King Solomon's day, that actually began the decline of the faith in God it was the irony of it because what they were doing is they were creating something man-made. God didn't want to be in a temple. If you read in, in uh, um, oh, I've got jumped ahead. If you read in the, whenever, whenever uh, God spoke to David and said, I don't really want to live in a temple. I live in a tent and I'm happy to live in a tent. But they had formalized religion and religious practices. They'd made a building. They had a place where people came to. And in that, they had re- removed it from the people. God was no longer in the midst of the people. He was no longer walking amongst them in the tent. But now they had a, a formalized building. They had a priesthood and God was pushed behind the priesthood. They had sacrificed and ordered things and God was pushed back again. And it was, in, it was only in Jerusalem. So he pushed back again and pushed further and further and further out of their lives and further and further away. Yes, he was still part of the country, but this was the start whenever the temple was first built. God has always got a desire to be amongst his people, to be elevated in our hearts, not to have a denomination, a building, a religious edifice erected. He doesn't care about those things. You know, people ask me, what do you think of uh, that denomination or that denomination? And you know what? If the bottle's empty, it doesn't matter what label's on the outside. God came to be involved in each of our lives he didn't want to be pushed behind a religion pushed behind a temple pushed out of our experience he came and he is greater than the temple because he wanted to be involved he wanted to be involved in the details involved in the everyday involved in the nitty gritty you know what it says of God and Adam it says he walked with him in the cool of the day I, you know what I would say it was probably everyday I would say it was probably everyday He was glad to you know what I've created this man this is a remarkable man people are we are remarkable yes we are fallen but God was happy to walk with him and talk with him and get his perspective and broaden his mind and get him to think of other things he was happy times with God walking with Adam in the cool of the day and you know God wants that he doesn't want religion to be formalized for you He doesn't want it to be formalized for me. He doesn't want to be pushed onto the back burner and something that we only do once in a while, something that we only think about whenever either times are trouble or we're in church. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. He wants to be involved in the everyday. That's why he said that it's better than the temple. He's greater than the temple because the temple is a place that some of the Jews only went to at feast times. He's greater than the temple because he wants to be involved in every day. He wants to be involved in every way. He wants to be involved in all the details, everything that's involved in your life. Oh, but why would God care about that? Because he does, because he's big enough to care. He's big enough to care. He doesn't stand out there just saying, waiting for some sort of a religious practice, religious nodding of the head and, and reading of a scripture and praying and oh, that, that satisfies my, you know, my need from, from this person today. He doesn't care about that. He wants to be involved with you. He wants to be involved every day with you, every day. My goodness. We do it as well. We have a tendency of pushing God out, pushing him beyond. But Jesus is greater than the temple. He's greater than all those religious things. Do we wall him off because we're afraid that if we let him in, that, you know, things might just get a wee bit crazy? Do we wall him off because there's things that we don't understand? Do we blame him for things that have happened in our lives and say, you know what? You weren't there for me when that happened. So you know what? You can't come in all the time now. Do we do that? Is there things that we don't understand and we make that another priest between us and God, another wall between us and God, another curtain? But I tell you, his heart, his desire, his passion is to be in intimate relationship with you. Intimately every day. Not just a passing nod once a week, but every day. Over and over. You know, that idea of asking Jesus into your heart. You know, the, the whole, the pop catchphrase now by, from the Pentecostal church over the last 50 years has been, uh, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And it is a pop phrase, but It's true. It's about every day. Letting them in, pour out your heart to him. You don't pour it out to your priest, you pour it out to him because he knows better than anyone. And the answer to these Pharisees who were challenging Jesus on the behavior of his disciples in answer to them, whenever they were saying about, oh, look what they're doing. They're, they're breaking the religious rules. They're, they're doing what they shouldn't do on a Sabbath day. What did he answer with? He said, you don't even know what you're talking about. Um. I was getting all excited there in lost place. He, he, an he, he answered them and he said unto the, he replied to them in Matthew twelve seven. He replied to them, but he quoted from Hosea. He quoted from Hosea six, six, he says, For I, devour, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He quoted from Hosea. We all know the story of Hosea. What a man. He was a man that God sent, a prophet who was sent to be an example to the nation of what way the nation was treating God. He went to the, a certain part of town. There's kids in the room. Went to a certain part of town, found a girl and married her. And he raised her up to a position of the, the, God, the man of God's wife. That's what she was raised to. And in a, a, a religious community, be it all these other types of religion, but it's still a godly community, everyone would have gone, oh, she's now the, the, the man of God's wife. But it wasn't good enough for her. She turned her back and she walked away. She went back to her old lover. She went back to her old lifestyle. Jesus quotes from this. Jesus quotes from this story to say that wasn't the plan. God's heart was breaking whenever whenever the nation turned away. Can you hear the echo in Jesus' words? I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. I desire intimacy, not order, not ritual, not habit. habit. Yes, there's a good thing of habit, but habit can, relationship, we need something real. You know what? I find as I go on, I need more reality in my life. I need more reality of who God is. I need more reality. There's too much fake stuff. There's too much religious stuff. It's either one end or the other. There's too much of it. I want the reality of who he is living in my life. We have a savior who wants to be closer than a brother wants to be closer than a brother. You know, for years, that verse, it, it, was, it was important, I, I, I nodded to it. You see, the day my brother went, moved, moved country, he went and immigrated to America. The day my brother immigrated to America, it was like he died. It I felt like he had died. And you know, that day, that verse meant the world to me because I understood it. I finally realized that he is closer than a brother me and my brother used to go everywhere we'd go to the coffee shop we'd go to the cinema we were we both came back from America and we were both unemployed for nine months we both went down to the dole office and told them about all the jobs we were applying for we both then went to the museum or we'd go for a walk up Cave Hill and we'd go through we were like that when we were in America for four years we had no friends we were like that we went everywhere together we we told each other everything and whenever he went to America I realized that he is a friend that's Dick's closer than a brother. And we can tell him anything. Pour out our hearts to him. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I don't know what's happening. Lord, I don't know why this happened to me. This happened to my loved ones. I don't understand. It's okay to tell him. It says says in the scriptures, be angry, but sin not. It's okay to be angry and frustrated, but go to him. Don't run away from him. Go to him. He wants that relationship where we can go to him. The heart of God is a heart of communion, of fellowship with him. It's involvement, intimacy with him. The analogy used in Ephesians 5 is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. It's such a, a, a perfect picture. I tell you, if Sharon and I fall out, not that we do very often, but if we fall out, there's nothing worse. You're walking around like stray cats, closing doors and turning your music up or turning your music down. Or I'm away out in the bike. I'll see you later. You know. But it's true. <laughs> we, we have to love our wives like Christ loved the church, sacrificially. Sometimes. No, nobody's joking. But we, you know, that intimacy though is so important. Intimacy with God. You know, sometimes. It's okay to tell him things you wouldn't tell your partner. It's okay to tell him things that you've no one else to tell because he's there and he says he's greater than the temple. He's not a religious order to things. He's a reality. He's a reality in our lives. You know, the Lord works from the inside out, E.T. T. Benson. The world works from the outside in. The world will take people out of the slums. Christ will take the slums out of people. And then uh, they would take themselves out of the slums. The world would mold men by changing their environment. Christ changes men who then change their environment. The world would shape human behavior, but Christ can change human nature. It's through that intimacy. We get involved with him. We pour out our heart to him, not in a, a religious way. You know, the prayers don't have to be religious. They just have to be intimate, honest. Matthew 11, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He wants to be walking with us in the cool of the day, he wants to be intimate with us. A greater than the temple is here. It's amazing, you know, when I think about his passion for involvement. I love that scene in the, the scriptures where it talks about Jesus going in to clean out the temple. I can see him going in, and standing in the the building. Here's the money changers. Here's the animals that are all bound, ready for sacrifice. And he's thinking about these things. He's thinking about the relationship that the nation has with God. He's thinking about how much religion and how much order and how much sacrifice of, uh, of religious things has come in between him and the people. He's walking around. He starts picking up those pieces of string that were used in the sacrifice. He says that he made it a scourge, but we don't know what he made it from. The only, only rope there would have been the string from the sacrifices. And he goes around and he's gathering them. And he's walking around and he's seeing people scrimping and scraping and struggling and people being, you know, pushed around and queuing up and, and all the rest. And he knows that their hearts are good for the people, but he's watching the money changers. He's watching them, oh, they put their price up. Maybe we should put our price up. He's watching them and he's getting angry. He's getting angry because he does. he's going like, this is not what I intended. I intended a relationship with the people. I intended people to come to me. It's far better to even, you know what? It's probably be far better to go to him with no sacrifice than it was to go through a ritual and and then go to him. And he's made the scourges. He made it and wove it together. He then leathered into them. He then set about turning over tables. They set about chasing them out of the building because they had not only created a, a barrier of creating wealth they had made the, the temple courts into tesco's on a saturday afternoon not only had they done that made it a busy place but they had made people queue outside it made people stand outside we couldn't have every all the gentiles into because the gentiles you know oh you've got to stand out there you're not allowed in we're busy up in here god well, that's not right and you know whenever we call out to him whenever he hears a heart that desires a relationship with him, uh, when he hears our simplest prayers, when we call out to him, he'll turn over tables. He'll, He'll make a mess. He'll fight his way to get to you. He'll do whatever it takes to get to you, to hear your prayers. He doesn't stand back. He doesn't want a formalized religion. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be involved no other faith is like this no other religion is like this in islam they have no relationship with with allah buddhism have no relationship with buddha They have no relationship. They have no God. The gods of old in the Greek times and Roman times, they were capricious. They stood out the back and they played with men like chess pieces. That's all that they thought. But God came on the scene in the person of Jesus and said, I want to be involved. I'm greater than religion. I'm greater, greater than all the practices. I want you to realize he is greater than the temple. What have we raised in our lives? What have we given supremacy to? I mentioned at the beginning there, a letter from the doctor, an email, a conversation. You know, I mentioned the temple is religious things, but sometimes we can give supremacy and we can elevate things in our lives which are not maybe religious, but are destructive, that are damaging, things that will mislead us, things that will bind us, and when I say bind us, it will constrain us from being the people God wants us to be. He came to set us free. He came to give us sight. He came to make us his children. And things come along that, as I said, dull that edge. They blind us. And we can elevate those things. We can have our hurts and we can have our sorrows, but they can, you know, we can't let them become greater than Christ. Nothing is greater than Christ. He is greater than all the things we face. Reading there in, in Matthew 12, if you can go on down a wee bit further to Matthew 12, 38. Matthew twelve thirty eight says, Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A greater than Jonah is here. The prophet who spoke to the nation of Assyria, he brought them a message of God's impending judgment upon them. And the whole nation repented, they all responded. We're very familiar with this story. We know all about the whale, about his reluctance. We know about him fleeing and heading off in the wrong direction. It's very unusual in the Old Testament because it's a missionary, and you don't see very many missionaries in the Old Testament, and as to a foreign country. But he warned them that judgment was on the way, and they responded. He was the reluctant prophet. He took a trek into the city and along the streets and he preached to the whole city and they responded. And the image at the end is him sitting underneath the gird and regretting what had happened. It's a remarkable story. It's a a surprising story in many ways because it doesn't quite fit with the picture. But Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jonah was compelled to fill his mission through fear. Jesus was compelled to fill his mission through love. Jonah's mission was to one city. Jesus' mission was to the whole world. The message repent for judgment is coming was Jonah's message. The message repent for the kingdom of God is at hand was Jesus. Jonah was upset that he was successful and regretted his mission. Jesus rejoiced that his mission was a success and continues to rejoice Jonah's converts died and his success lasted only one generation. Jesus' converts never died and his success lasts throughout all eternity. Jonah hated, hated. To say that the Jews hated or the Israelites hated the Assyrians is to be light about it. He hated the the people he was sent to. But Jesus loved us. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet his enemies, he came to us. He came and showed a better way. Jonah's mission was a chore that he had to endure. Jesus' mission was a joy who for the joy that was set before him endured it all. Endured it all. What a greater than Jonah is here. A greater greater than Jonah wants to be in a relationship with us. Wants to be in a relationship with us. Jonah was remarkable for two reasons, his reluctance and still his success. Jesus was remarkable for more than two, but on those two issues, he eclipses Jonah, who for the joy, his willingness, his willingness to take part, his willingness to do what needed to be done and for his commitment. Because his commitment wasn't just for 33, 34 years. It was for all eternity. Because when he limited himself into human flesh, he was limiting himself into human flesh for all eternity. There is a man, Daniel says it, I beheld the son of man in heaven. He did that. This is him saying again that he wants to be in relationship. He's taken it a step further. He's being assertive on it. There's no doubt that he has committed 100% because you can relate to him as a man. You can relate to him as a man. Yes, he has a glorified body. He's been raised again and he's in heaven by the right hand of the father, but he's still a man. He has a body, it's a glorified body, but it's a body. We can relate to that. Praise the Lord. God, it's good. Good to be, it's good to know. It's good to know that he is greater. It's good to know that he's a man good to know that he's touched with those things that we go through. It's good to know that he knows. Jonah in many ways also represents the prophets of the Old Testament. For those people who have actually twigged on already, the, the, the priest, prophet, and kings were him heading with us. So he's the, prophet, the prophets of old. He's, he's greater than the prophets of old. Jonah represented them. They came with a message from God and they spoke into culture. They spoke into society. They spoke into the king. They spoke, they, they wanted to guide the nation and that was what they were there for. Jesus came and yes, he spoke to the big picture. He spoke to the things that were going on, but you know what? He spoke into the little picture frame. He spoke into the little picture frame that we are. He spoke into people's lives. That was more important. He came and he spoke into the individual He didn't go and speak to Caesar and to Rome. Didn't speak to the governor or the king in Jerusalem. He came and spoke to the everyday people. He went to where they were, where, where they were walking, what they were going through. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, we see it, he's speaking to everyone he comes upon. He spoke to Martha. He spoke to Peter, Thomas, Mary, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, spoke to the normal people. That was his passion, to walk in the cool of the day, to be involved in every detail of our lives, not to be kept outside, not to be pushed away, not to be forgotten about, but to be involved. Jesus still delights in the soul that turns to him. He still speaks. He still speaks to us. He still speaks those words of life. He still can speak into that situation, into that hurt in our lives, into that failure, into that disaster. He can still speak words of life. He cares and he can still make a difference. A greater than Jonah is here. I think of him in the boat with the disciples. The storm was raging and there he was in the stern of the boat, probably lying in a wee bit of water. On a soggy pillow in the middle of nowhere, middle of the, the, the storm. The disciples went to him. They had done all that they can do. Sometimes we have done all we can do. Sometimes we have tried all that we can try. They went to him at the last. Hardened fishermen, used to the big waves, went to him and said, Master, we need your help. And he cared. He cared. What, whatever you're going through today, he cares. He cares. He cares. He can still speak into your situation, speak words of life. He can still calm the storm that rages. You have to remember that his involvement is, is something he has decided that he is doing. I want to be involved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We need to stop looking at others as, a, a, as a, a, an answer. We have one greater than the temple. We have one greater than Jonah. We need to ask him, can you be involved? I mentioned at the beginning there, we need to have more assurance on what we believe. We need to lay, lay hold on, on God. We need to be determined to get a hold of God. We need to be determined to get him involved in our situations. Why is he the last we go to? Why is he the last answer we think of? We need God involved. I don't know about you tonight, but I've got situations I'm facing that I don't have an answer for. I don't know what you're going through, but I've come to my wit's end. I don't know what to do in certain things. I I really don't know what to do, but one greater than the temple is here. One greater than Jonah is here. He wants to be involved. He's passionate about being involved. He will go out of his way to be involved. It says there that the men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. The men of Nineveh didn't know that God was a merciful God. They just repented. They heard that judgment was coming from God. And he knew what God had done for the people of Israel. And they were like, oh, no, judgment's coming. Ripping their clothes, putting sackcloth on the donkeys. They repented as a whole to a man. They didn't know what God's like. How much more us? How much more should we know what God is like? How much more? We are the people of God. We are the ones who have the word of God. We have had him moving in our lives. We have had him operating in our lives and doing things for him. For us, we have had him, his help in past. How much more should we be re- willing to respond to the word of God? How much more should we turn to him knowing that he, is, that he is greater than Jonah, that he has the words of life, that he can speak into our situation? I love all the things that are the- theological and philosophical. I love those things, but it's the reality of who he is that makes all the difference. He's done it in the past and he can do it again. His willingness to be involved, that's what I wanna to emphasize tonight. His willingness to be involved in everything that you're going through. He doesn't wanna be pushed away. We push him away too quickly and too easily sometimes. We discount him as a, that's another thing. After I have done all that I can do, after I have tried my best and we can, that's good. It's honorable to do that but we need to rely on him, come to him. So he's greater than the temple and greater than Jonah. And thirdly, Matthew twelve forty-two. it says, the queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon represented the kings of Israel, the golden age of the nation, where their wealth and their reputation was spread abroad. The queen of the south here is the queen of Sheba. When she came to Solomon in 1 Kings 10, she came to him and she communed with him. She traveled, it says that she traveled from her, her, uh, a great distance, uh, came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels, you don't have to turn to, just gonna read this, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. In other words, he answered all her questions. And there was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and all the house that he had built, as in the house of God, and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel, and the cupbearers and his, uh, uh, his ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believe not the words until I came and mine eyes have seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made thee king through judgment and justice. Queen of Sheba came to Solomon, came from a far off land. She wanted wisdom. She needed help. She had questions that she needed to raise. It's no mean feat to think that she came, you know. We might think, you know, she came with a, a few friends, but, you know, if President Obama wouldn't even go to Paris last week because of the logistical and security issues, this queen and the queen from probably the estimate it was around Yemen, about 1,500 miles away, Probably took her about 75 days to travel that distance with a retinue, with soldiers, with, with uh, camels, with offerings obviously to Solomon, with her own attendants. Probably she was a bit of a diva, had her chef and her hairdresser and whoever else with her. Was no mean feat. She went out of her way to go and see Solomon. These attendants with her came to the palace, seen around the city, spent a number of days there and poured out her heart. Poured out her heart. Asked him all the questions that she had. You know, it's not a small thing. It's not a small thing for a ruler of a nation to go to another nation and ask them for advice. It's not a small thing. Something she humbled herself and she put effort in. She went out of her way because it was out of her way. She didn't, you know what? She didn't even care what people thought. You know, because she can't exactly slip out of town. She can't exactly slip through the countryside and no one noticing her. She has to have a certain amount of prestige when she's going. But she came to him, came to Solomon, and she poured out her heart. I have all these questions. I don't know. I've heard you're wise. I've heard you've got great knowledge. I've heard you're rich. But here's my problems. Solomon was the son of David. There was no wiser man than him. I like that part. Half of what he knows has not been told. But she had it. She put an effort. She was determined. She was tenacious. She decided, I have heard this man might have an answer for me. And she went after him. The warning's clear. She'll stand up in judgment. Now, I'm not saying she's actually going to, but the idea is there. If she was willing to come to Jerusalem to see Solomon, why would we not be willing to go to one greater than Solomon? Doesn't he have the answers? Doesn't he have the solutions? Doesn't he have something that'll give us something to hold on to? A way of escape, a door of hope? A greater than Solomon is here. Do we believe it? She was a troubled woman with questions. It actually says riddles, things that she couldn't understand. Her gods wouldn't speak to her, those around her wouldn't answer the problems, but only Solomon could have the answer. Have you had issues and problems that only God can answer? You know, I believe that He is the answer. I believe He is the answer. I believe He is the answer. What are you facing tonight? What problems do you have in your life? Have we tried our best? Have we done all we can do? Have we come to the end of our rope? He is the answer. He is wiser than Solomon. He is richer than Solomon. He can answer in ways that we can't even imagine. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Call out to the Lord and he will answer. I quoted this last time I spoke. But it's true, Psalm 34, 17. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. He delivers us. He hears when you call. Even whenever it's not even words, You can't even muster the words to call. Even when it's just the groaning of your heart, those moments when you can't even put into words all that you're going through, when you can't articulate in any sort of coherent way that frustration that pain the desperation we need that desperation just put it into just aim it at him he can hear and he can solve and he can help he can give us something to keep us going he's a greater than Solomon is here It's remarkable. I I keep coming back to this. Each of these three points emphasize his willingness to be involved in the with the individual and in the details. His ability to help. Jesus asked his disciples, Will you leave me? Everyone else has turned their backs. Will you leave me? And what did they say? Where else will we go for these words of life? Because he can speak into your life, he can speak into our situations. He can speak into that thing that you're going through and he can change it. It doesn't take a month. It doesn't take a year. Do you know what? It can be right now. Right now. Whenever God speaks, he speaks clearly. He still does it. Sometimes it's a still small voice. Not always, not often. Usually it's through the scriptures. Usually it's through what someone has said to you. Sometimes it's through a chorus that you've sang but he can speak to us. He can set us free. Look for it. I think the important thing is that we look for it. In expectation, we listen for it. Sometimes we just come to to church and we think, right, we'll see pastors away. Let's see how these guys do. And we decide, you know what? I'm gonna see how they do. And you know what? I'll tell you honestly, I felt that. I have but we should be coming here to hear from God. We should be coming here saying, listen, I don't care if there's a donkey up there. If, Bail, or if Balaam can hear from a donkey, I want to hear from God. You know what? I need to hear something from God. Do you need to hear something from God? Do you need that? Well, that's what our, that should be our attitude when we come to church. It should be our attitude when we visit other churches sometimes. It should be our attitude whenever we're reading the scriptures, whenever we're watching some preacher on YouTube or on the God channel. Some of them are very tough to do that on the God channel. I do it, in, I do it on YouTube. It's Carter Conlon usually. But you should listen. What, what's God got to say? Is there anything this God's got to say? Sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't. But it's our expectation. Because if we've if relegated God to a Sunday thing and to only a, a Pastor David thing, who is great, and I'm not, I'm not taking away from that, but I'm making a point here. If we relegated only to something religious, like a temple or a uh, Jonah or a Solomon, that's the only person who can speak to me, then you'll miss it. Because God wants to speak to you in ways that you haven't even comprehended. Sometimes in ways you don't even imagine. I know a guy who's a pastor of a church who got saved watching a Dirty Harry movie. In the back, there's a neon sign flashing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. You know what? I would almost recommend we all turn the movie on, pause at that part, watch it over five seconds and get it into your heart. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. What are you going through tonight? Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. You're not coming to hear a person. You're coming to hear from God. I want to hear from God. I want to be out of him involved in the details. It's not a, it's not a, a temple It's a relationship, intimate involvement in our lives. Intimate involvement in our lives. Psalm 118, well-known Psalm says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in princes. Man can't help you. He might say he would help, but he doesn't have the ability to help. Princes might have the ability, but they have no intention. Only God can help. And we've get that situation where we realize that only God can help us. And you know what? I have emphasized for this last 20, 20 minutes, half an hour, God wants to help. God wants to be involved. He doesn't want to be relegated out on the edges of your life. He wants to be involved in the every day, every day. Sharon and I do it as a practice. When we're eating out, eating dinner somewhere, I don't mean to embarrass anyone else who doesn't do this. But what we do as a practice when we're out, we'll actually, we'll say, thank you, Lord, for the food. It doesn't even have to be half our sermon. It's sometimes not even five minutes, not even two minutes, but it's still, we would hold hands, put our heads and thank you, Lord. I'm elite. You know what? That's that's just giving him thanks. I don't thank him enough for the breath he gives me. I don't thank him enough, enough for the money I earn at work. I really don't. I tithe out of it when I can remember. That's not true. I do. But do I thank him for it? Do I ever utter the words, thank you? Do we get him involved in the details? He's greater than Solomon, the king of Israel. In the golden age of the nation, he's greater than him. He's done so much more. He can do so much more as well. My intention tonight is just to encourage us, encourage us to let him get involved. Let him get involved in the details of our lives. God wants to be involved, not just sitting on the sidelines. He knows what we all face. He knows what we face tomorrow. He knows what we face tonight sometimes. Tonight when we go home, and we are on our own, you turn out the light, he knows what we face. He knows all the details. When we call out to him, he'll turn over tables. He'll make a mess of things just to get to you, just to get there with you and to talk to you to speak to you, to give you something for the road, to make a difference. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Don't believe the lies of the enemy, the lies that would wrap you up in fear, apprehension, doubt, unbelief, who would wrap you up in, in all sorts of Things go to the one who can set you free, the one who can deliver you. Because he wants to be involved. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that there's old song. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't do that. He came here, he saved us for a reason. He saved us for himself. He saved us so that he could walk with us in the cool of the day. Pour out your heart to him. Get him involved. No one else can, can answer those problems that you have. No one else can have a solution. No one else can speak the words of life. Don't believe those are reports. Let the enemy wrap you up on, on fear and apprehension and unbelief. God is greater than the temple. He's greater than Jonah and he's greater than Solomon. He's greater. God is greater. God is greater. He's greater. He's greater. God is greater. He is greater. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. I'm just going to close in prayer now. But I want you to consider as you're sitting there, those situations and those places and those things in your life that might be bigger than Bigger than you, certainly, but maybe you think in a way that it's bigger than God. Maybe you think it's a problem that you, you, you know, that there is no solution to. Maybe it's a hurt, maybe it's a loss, maybe it's a failure, maybe it's a defeat. Maybe there's something that is overwhelming you. And this is only a few minutes of respite. Well, I want to tell you tonight that a greater, a greater one is here in our midst God is greater than all your problems, greater than everything you face. And as I just close in prayer, I want you to remember that. I want you to think about how great God is and what he has done. I want you to think about his willingness to be involved, willingness to be involved. And I believe that God can set you free. Father God, in heaven, Lord, we praise you, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. We praise you and we glorify you. Praise you, Lord God, in heaven, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord. You are the king of kings and lords of lords. Lord, we glorify We thank you, Lord, that truly you are greater than the temple, that you're greater than Jonah, that you're greater than Solomon, that, Lord, that you are the one with the words of eternal life, that you can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. We thank you, dear God, in heaven that you're acquainted with us. You know the intimate goings-ons in our lives, Lord. You know what we face tomorrow, Lord God. You know what issues we have, troubles that face us. You know the lies that the enemy has said against us. You know those things that we have allowed to entangle us, Lord God. You know all that we struggle with, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you're still there for us. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, that when we cry out to you, that you will make your way to us, that you'll draw nigh to us as we draw nigh to you. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, that you're still in the business of setting people free. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, that you're still in the business of making us free. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, Lord, that there's nothing beyond your ability. Nothing's beyond your ability, Lord. We thank You, dear God, in heaven, that nothing is beyond Your ability. Thank You, Lord, that nothing's beyond Your ability. Thank You, dear God, in heaven, Lord. Thank You, Lord, that nothing's beyond Your ability. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. We thank You, Lord God, in heaven, Lord, that You are our God. That You are God, We thank you, Lord, for your hand in our lives and your desire to be involved. Lord, we thank you that you care about us, that you care about the details, Lord, the things that we don't understand, you're still there. And we thank you, Lord God in heaven, that you can answer our deepest cries of our heart, Lord. Lord, we love you, Lord. Lord, we love you, Lord God in heaven. Praise you, Lord God. Let's just praise the Lord praise you Lord praise you Lord praise you Lord thank you Lord God in heaven for the answer thank you dear God in heaven that you're involved thank you dear God in heaven that you care thank you dear God in heaven that you're able more than able thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you dear God in heaven that the answer is on the way Thank you, dear God in heaven, that you haven't left us on our own. Thank you, Lord, that we haven't been abandoned. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you're our God, that you're our Savior, that you know us, Lord, and you care about us. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord God. Thank you, dear God in heaven, Lord, that you have set the captive free. Thank you, Lord God in heaven, that you care. We love you, Lord. Praise you. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or even download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.